0: Welcome back to Bitmark Bytes, the show where we take the crypto news that myself, Nathan, and Matt Ryan have taken off of our respective podcasts. Mine is Crypto Conversations, his is NFT 101. We take our favorite headlines for the week and we break them down. Matt, you could say we put them into bite size, give you some context so that one, you don't have to go and read all this information and try and understand it for yourself. But also, I know that in this space that can change so dynamically, in such a crazy fashion, that commentary is always needed. I don't have a fancy um, title for this episode, Matt. It's the sixth episode. We're definitely gonna call it that um, with the some of our- The search Spock. The about- search for Spock. You know, what's funny is I've looked at some of our titles and I've, I've thought, um, you know, is me giving the crazy titles bad for SEO and bad for the listeners? Because then they have no idea what the episode is about. But I guess we'll see. We're still new in this series, but it actually has quickly become a series that I really enjoy doing because one, you never know how much you know until you try and explain it to somebody else, right? So just by providing the commentary and kind of bouncing ideas off of you, Matt, I'm able to, yes, know that I do know quite a lot about crypto. And two, I know that there's just such a kind of dearth of information of what I'd say good or quality commentary surrounding some of the news Um, like I said, in this crazy dynamic space. So Matt, we're going to go kind of quick and dirty on this one, but if you have some opening remarks, I'd love to hear them before I go into our first story.
1: Glad to be back, uh, ready to open an eight pack on this six pack of an episode and uh, glad to just be able to talk some of the big stories. We've got some interesting ones here, Nathan. My my favorite is on uh, one of the ones on Wednesday, but before that, Stablecoin, something that you and I had to traverse this week, uh, holds more U.S. debt than Berkshire Hathaway?
0: Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, So on Monday, it was reported uh, by a study by J.P. Morgan that actually the major stablecoin issuers, that's Tether, USDC, and I believe that they mentioned one more, they probably mentioned DAI, but Tether and Circle are the big ones they mentioned. They are actually over collateralized and they own more U.S. debt and treasury instruments than traditional financial players like Berkshire Hathaway, which is owned by Warren Buffett, it's a big investment firm, so this is interesting because a common refrain that you'll hear in the crypto world by people that are crypto skeptical or not even crypto curious is that why would I want to use these so-called stable coins? Unquote compared to the U.S. dollar, they're not backed up by anything, and that uh, has become a common refrain, especially since the Terra USD stuff, which was an algorithmic, which was an algorithmic stable coin, which yes was not backed up by anything up until the uh, very end when they tried to do it with bitcoin and that worked out horribly so this is just fascinating because when you use something like tether when you use usdc it is actually backed up by a nominal amount of cash us debt or other treasury instruments in the same way that a money market fund or a bond would be and so you can actually you should feel safe when using it because they've created this uh, in mind and the article goes on to say that actually if you just invested in Tether or USDC as a money market fund, which essentially just holds, you know, like I said, stuff that's not supposed to gain in value, because of the amount that they own, they've actually slightly outperformed money market funds, which is kind of fascinating. A little bit tech finance nerdy, but just the main conclusion of this is when you use Tether, when you use USDC, it is essentially the same as using the dollar, which is a major kind of interesting achievement. Thoughts, Matt? I
1: I'm a fan of it um I like the idea of a stable coin because it's a way to acclimate people who are still crypto hesitant you know to have something that's pegged to the dollar that you can use as a currency that you can use as basically a tertiary bank account to where you can hold money in there it may not mature it may not gain interest so it may not be the smartest. Investment, but it as a currency, it is something that you can utilize for other current to buy other currencies and have that kind of be your a version of your wallet. Uh, in a sense, could be a real selling point for people who are interested in crypto but are really really afraid of the market volatility and right now the market is still a little cuckoo banana pants. It looks like we might be getting through a little bit of it. Things might be stabilizing, things might be normalizing in the market over the next few months. I know that's a story you've caught you've talked about on the daily crypto watch uh fairly consistently, but we're a long ways away from you being able to use bitcoin in your everyday life, there are some applications to it now. A lot more people are crypto are, are accepting crypto at businesses, but it's not to the point where it's like a debit card or a credit card or Apple Pay. It's not hard. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't go to a stop and shop or a Kroger or you know, any of those places, a lot of northern lot of Northeastern ones. I'm sorry, or the Piggly Wiggly, as it were, and you can't use crypto there yet so i think having tether having usdc having these different you know tokens are very effective in acclimating people
0: absolutely a slight correction there matt so i mean technically you can use like you said these applications that they issue a debit card and they do things like that but you're not you're not really paying with crypto you're always paying with like oh, I'm paying with crypto and this processor has to take the crypto and they have to sell it and they have to do all this. So yes, you are technically correct. You can't just go, I can't even, you know, use the Lightning Network and go shop at the grocery store, things like that. However, in developing countries, they've been able to leapfrog some of this stuff. And um, you can actually look up videos from South Africa, Kenya, a lot of African countries where they're using the Lightning Wallet directly to pay with Bitcoin. That is the minority. So I'm not even going to say that you can like pay with crypto and things like that. But my last conclusion on this before we go to your interesting GameStop NFT story is that you know who needs stable coins the most developing nations or nations where their currency is not as stable as the dollar, the euro, the yen or something like that. We forget that, you know, we're dealing with inflation right now in the U.S. But it's nothing compared to other countries and it's nothing historically. So there are lots of people, um, for example, or in our in our colleagues, uh, and our our colleague kalichi's nigeria they deal with inflation on a day-to-day basis and if they can have something like tether usd that they know is just going to stay you know one usdc equals one usdc or one tether equals one tether that's a game changer for them so there's your use case right there is developing countries but um moving on matt you've got another you've got a kind of uh, more interesting and uh whimsical story with GameStop getting into NFTs, is that right?
1: Yeah, Game. well, we've talked about the GameStop NFT exchange before on this show, and we've also talked about it on the non-fungible news regarding various hacks. Uh, theft, basically, a, a, a guy put up an NFT collection of games that he didn't own the rights to all of them. So that oh, was- this was the this was the Nathan
0: who was trying to make me look bad, huh? Yes, the bad Nathan. You oh gosh.
1: Alstachio yeah. Nathan. Yeah. Uh <laughs> but we go to our friends over at Coin Telegraph Daily Revenue this article coming to you on the Tuesday edition of the NFN. It dropped on Coin Telegraph on August 22nd, which was this past uh This past Monday daily revenue for GameStop's NFT marketplace has plummeted under $4,000. According to Dapp Radar, GameStop's NFT platform generated roughly $166,800 worth of sales volume over the course of Sunday into Monday with an average of with a, but only earning about 3,700 in revenue over those 24 hours (laughs) Uh, GameStop appears to confirm figures actually plunged to around 2000 trading volume has actually pumped up though, over 91.23% over the course of Monday. It began on July 13th of this year, the platform, but has been dealing with a litany of issues. It is its first day. It had 1.98 million in sales volume, about 44,500 in way of fees. And This is not looking great for GameStop, their pivot into the NFT space. They took a huge hold in 2021, Nathan, with their stock becoming a huge part of the hold uh, along with AMC and a few others. This one was one of the more prevalent stocks outside of AMC in that it completely turned the fortunes of the company around. It was nearing bankruptcy, and it was about to be picked apart, but whole bunch of people stepped in, invested, moved the stock further up and created a lot of chaos and it seemed like GameStop was trying to continue that trend with a web3 audience but GameStop really hitting a lot of hurdles here and it feels like this much like a lot of things in the NFT space was rushed.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not a huge fan of GameStop Matt um because my brother, who's also a Matt, um, I've just seen him. I think you talked about this on one of our Bytes episodes where the GameStop model is uh, sell high, buy low, which is the opposite of of uh, being good for the consumer. Their their model is you know selling you games, and then they claim to take the used games, but they can't take them back for any significant price. I've been in GameStop stores recently, and it just seems like the prices are really inflated, Um, you can quickly look at something on the shelf, like whether it's a collectible or a game and look on Amazon or someplace else and see that it's much cheaper. I'm going to say a kind of controversial and hot take opinion here to try and make this short and sweet. I think that if GameStop hadn't been part of that whole stock fiasco, GameStop's time was up, right? It it seems a little bit Blockbuster-esque to me. Like they are from another time. We can miss them. Um, Maybe there's lots of people that don't want them to go out of business, but I just... I feel like GameStop's time is kind of up, and this whole foray into the NFT space reminds me exactly of Radio Shack is doing the same thing. I remember going into Radio Shack stores ten years ago. Ten years ago, they seemed like their time was up. So, to me, this is just kind of like it's like the death gasp and like the death throes of a company that either needs to go away, be sold off, so that people can do something else with their lives, or it needs to be bought by another company and essentially subsidized by them because it's like a brand that people like controversial opinion. I know I'm not trying to hate on gamers or anything like that. I just, that's what it seems like from the outside looking in.
1: No, you're actually absolutely right. Um, I think that GameStop's time has passed. I think that the relevant there, the relevancy of a store like GameStop when Best Buy and especially, you know, Amazon exist in terms of delivering physical media. The, the place for physical media still exists, but I don't think GameStop actually serves the players. They serve profits, and that's been a long-standing complaint. With pe- This is one of the reasons why GameStop was going out of business was there was an inequity in the value of used games, in the ability to make – and they kind of ran everybody out of the market and then ran themselves out of the market – and with the ability now to download a game directly to your hard drive or order it from Amazon not have to leave the house there's a lot more here that you can utilize and just the GameStop experience isn't one that I necessarily enjoy anymore i'm i'm obviously i'm in my 30s so i'm not as much of a gamer as i used to be but the tournaments and all that stuff that were there when I was younger, it doesn't feel like there's that connection anymore. And I feel like that's, you know, when you lose your audience, you're screwed. And no matter what you can do, unless you're making you're making it right with the audience that got you there, you're not going to be able to rebound from that because you're basically pulling the biggest sector of your audience out and trying to rebuild that you know, with no, no backing, no strength, no, no initial wave that can carry you to the point to where more people will get interested and care about your business again.
0: Yeah, I I just, you know, I think it's time it's up. You could have even said that GameStop's time was up when a platform like Steam or when you could download stuff off the Xbox Live Store came around. And it's just, I think it's nostalgia. That's why I compare it to Blockbuster or some other places. But that's that's my short and sweet take. I'm not going to harp on it too long because I know that we are excited. We've got to get to the next story. And I, I know you're going to be interested in this story, Matt, because it seems like a complaint that we've had forever on the bytes, even though we're only six episodes in, has finally kind of been solved, okay? And this is that a hacker tried to attack the Near Protocols Rainbow Bridge, which all bridges are is there. There are ways that cryptocurrency can be exchanged, um, similar to a decentralized exchange, but they they bridge different blockchains. They're super, I don't wanna say they're super easy to exploit. They have historically been very easy to exploit. And most of the big cryptocurrency heists or hacks have come from bridges. But here's something interesting. The developers of the Near Protocol's Rainbow Bridge have obviously gotten sick of this crap, okay? And they've put in some automated security processors that caused a hacker who is trying to hack the Rainbow Bridge to lose five ETH, which is approximately $8,000 or so right now, to lose it automatically within 30 seconds because he tried to do an exploit. And it goes on here in the article to say that the Rainbow developer, Alex Srivanko, said in a note Monday that the attacker submitted a fabricated near block on the Rainbow Bridge contract and put up this deposit of five ETH. But the, since they had secure automatic protocols in place, the protocol just saw that it wasn't correct. It wasn't, it wasn't supposed to go through. And so they took the ETH because that's the deposit. And they just said, bye-bye, you're done. And I was like, wow, have they been listening to this show? This is what you're <laughs> always talking about, Matt, with like, oh, I need to feel secure when I'm using these things. This seems like somebody's finally getting it right. This, this is probably going to be the standard for bridges moving forward, hopefully with much larger amounts than five ETH. But $8,000 is nothing to shake a stick at. Your thoughts?
1: Good about time. That's all I can say. And it, also, you don't five ETH when you think about it like a five ETH. That doesn't seem like a lot, but if it's like eight grand, and you're processing that time over time over time, if if you've seen the movie Office Space, you understand. If you're doing something like that, do it over time, dummy. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes, you're referencing the, uh, they're supposed to take out pennies out of a bank account, and over time, it adds up to a significant amount, but instead, uh, Samir, who writes the software program, accidentally does it, and he misses a zero, or Michael, the other guy, does it, so he misses zero, so they have too much at one time, so it's obvious. Yeah, and I mean, 5 ETH right now is $8,000. After the merge, it could be $80,000. This is, you know, this is dynamic pricing, but... Yeah, I just thought that you'd get a kick out of this story because the Rainbow Bridge has obviously learned from the you know, the Nomad $200 million bridge exploit. The Axie Infinity was like 650. The Wormhole Bridge was 325 million. So it's like the Rainbow Bridge developers here, they've gotten sick of it. I don't know anything about the automated security protocol that they've written or like what it actually entails, but all I can say is that they're publicizing it and they're happy about it you can bet that it will do a lot more than five ETH. And they're telling other people about it. This is the great kind of promise of open source technology. So hopefully, bridge exploits will be a thing of the past. But this this story should, at the end, should say something like, Matt Ryan, we hear you. We're working for you. Please use crypto. So there's probably not too much more to say about that, Matt. Unless you have another comment, we can go on to your story here.
1: Let's move on to Tuesday from the non-fungible news. Nike has become the world's highest earning brand from NFT sales. Um, Nike has re- has generated $185 million in revenue with over 67,000 transactions. This data coming to us from the Crypto Times via Dune Analytics. And the second one is Dolce & Gabbana, Nathan, 9,000 transactions. They're second on the transactions list. But Tiffany making it to the number three spot. We talked about their NFTIF program on the non fungible news. But, but, Nathan, for you, I want you to guess how much money and how many transactions were made by Tiffs to get them the number three spot out of the top five
0: brands. So you said Nike was number one with 185 million, right? Yes. Uh, I didn't even realize Tiffany's was that big of a brand. I guess I'm out of the loop. I have watched breakfast at Tiffany's though with Audrey Hepburn. That is a great sixties movie. So if it's number three, uh, I'm still going to guess over a hundred million, like maybe one Oh one.
1: No, it is $12.62 million
0: from 74 (laughs) transactions. I was way off. That's Whoa, but only for 74 only transactions. 74 transactions over okay. that period
1: of time. Dolce & Gabbana had 9,000 transactions. That's and what a I was Total about to say. of 23, uh, pardon me, uh, $25 million in revenue. Uh, 74 transactions, $12 million for the lovely people over at Tiffany. And That's right, Tiffany's. Was- And rounding out the top five were Gucci and Adidas. Gucci coming in at 11.5 million and 10.9 million for Adidas, both of them with Gucci having 4,000 transactions, 51,000 for Adidas. Just kind of showing you the power of luxury brands, in my opinion, where you can see and have, you know. Tiffany with less than 80 transactions making $12 million off of their NFT platform. It is essentially the battle of whether or not what is what is more important, overhead, creating that ability to sell your NFTs, or having, enough, having a larger market to try to get in larger profits because $185 million, Nike outpacing Adidas by a lot but interesting, interesting to see both apparel brands in the top five.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering. I mean, Matt, you're a New Yorker. Is, I assume Tiffany's is still there wherever it exists in New York. Still, on, no still on
1: Fifth Avenue, Um, still near the Nike store, which is in Midtown Manhattan on, uh, on along Fifth Avenue. I believe there's a Dolce & Gabbana store there too, and there's an Adidas store, I believe, nearby in the area. That was where... The where BitMart, we partnered with scifolio and theirs verse for the NFT art gallery. You can read more about that on the BitMart medium. I was there taking photos, shooting video and drinking free wine. And we <laughs> actually had, you know, we were right along all those stores near some of the biggest brands in the world. And that was a big accomplishment for the organizers of the event. And the organizers of that gallery still exists on Fifth Avenue, but. This is a real interesting pivot because filling out the top 10, uh Nathan, we had Adidas Time Magazine, Bud Light, Budweiser, and Bud Light. They're different, uh, but they would combine still fall short of Time Magazine, who made 10.8 million dollars in NFTs. Uh, AO is in the ninth spot, and Lacoste coming in at number 10, which is oh. an interesting, an interesting one. The the Gators over
0: at Lacoste. Non-fungible alligators. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't know if Tiffany's owns the building there at Fifth Avenue or or what. Or I mean, seventy-four transactions to make twelve million dollars. That seems like Tiffany's to me. I've never been to Fifth Avenue. I've been to Saks off of Fifth Avenue at many a mall, so I I kind of get a sense of what it's like. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think this just list. It starts with Nike, and I can kind of see that because Nike is like a middle-class premium brand. Everybody has access to it. If you want to pay thousands of dollars for Nike stuff, you can. If you want to only pay 50 bucks for Nike stuff, you can. It has a great mix of quality there. I am, yeah, I guess this just solidifies that not only does your podcast, NFT 101, always have a bunch of stuff to cover, but like NFTs are clearly becoming mainstream. if, If something from Nike, if Nike's the top brand, I mean, Nike is probably only behind coca-cola and like microsoft or apple in terms of brand name recognition you can't go anywhere in the world where people have not heard of nike so yeah i I think that's just fascinating it um certainly is it might i think it's hello all you bit martians out there we've got a special announcement before the podcast regarding the bitmart elite nft membership this program has been hot and BitMart will be continuing with the next benefit period starting October 1st. BitMart users can get access to the BitMart Elite Membership Program between August 29th and September 30th by purchasing the Proof of Membership BitMart Elite NFT. In fact, there's going to be a flash sale for just 24 hours on August 29th, where users can get a discounted price for this NFT at 29. It'll be available on the launch pad for that flash sale. After the flash sale, users can get their BitMart Elite NFT on the NFT marketplace for $39.99. Users can trade their membership NFTs throughout the month of September, but on October 1st, the NFTs will be locked in user accounts, and users that hold the NFT will have to use their special membership benefits. Some of these benefits include the exclusive Elite Membership NFT, which is available nowhere else, VIP spot trading fees with negative maker fees and almost nothing taker fees for a maximum of 1 million in trading volume, a guaranteed mystery airdrop of up to $100 in tokens airdropped on October 15th and personalized 24/7 customer service. Doesn't that sound like a good deal? Now, back to the podcast. Segway's into our next story, really interesting in a in a in a good way because One of our top stories from Wednesday here is that according to a recent survey that was done, 64% of parents that know about blockchain want their kids to learn about it in school, almost in the same way that perhaps during the 1990s parents that were aware of the internet and aware of all this technological change was, that was occurring, wanted their kids to do kind of computer science classes and things like that. But obviously, as you know, Matt, um, or maybe you don't know, there's not a lot of blockchain education courses at formal universities yet. It's kind of something you have to learn about online. You have to go through Coursera. You can go through different blockchain-based academies. But um, the University of Connecticut and Arizona State along with MIT are some of the schools that are trying to incorporate this into their curriculum. So once again, this study was, um, it was done by study.com. And it only took into account parents that were aware of blockchain stuff. So it's a little bit of a skewed study. But it kind of just seems like, you know, like the future, like I noticed this trend in schools, even here around Denver, where a lot of schools try and say, we're forward thinking and we prepare you for a real career in the real world by teaching you stuff like programming or um or computer science or e-commerce yeah well that sort of stuff too but also some of these also combine it with trades like becoming like a real estate agent or things like that they're trying to be like more holistic education rather than just sit down Memorize geography, memorize history, what we think of as like old school education. Anyways, your thoughts on this? Makes a lot of
1: sense, and I, I am in favor for it. Any way we can teach kids or young adults how to utilize the, the financial world around them, I think a lot of people, especially when you take a look at the uh, the current economic state of the country and when you take a look at student debt, And, you know, people walking into adult life less prepared financially than their parents were because of the job climate, because of where we are in the country, it makes things very, very hard. And when people aren't equipped to understand the world around them, especially if it's rapidly changing, especially in the financial sector, we need to afford our citizens the opportunity to learn as much as possible. And MIT makes a lot of sense. So does UConn. So do a lot of other schools. Arizona State is a
0: funny one. But for me, <laughs> it, makes, it makes a lot of sense. Sure. And, and coming to your neck of the woods, um, Eric Adams, the uh, New York City mayor, has uh, also expressed that he thinks that blockchain technology and digital asset technology should be taught as early as maybe middle school or high school. So not just in the financial sense, that kind of um as about, a like, product bit. of the New York public
1: education system. There's a lot of other stuff that we need to teach kids in the New York public schools about. Uh, primarily in health class, uh, that we don't in New it York may- <laughs> City
0: public schools. It may be just one of the things on the docket, Matt. I can't comment on that since a I've, long uh, list. <laughs> since Three I've long never list. even never been. But um, yeah, just not even in the financial space. I mean, that's one aspect of blockchain technology and digital assets. But like we've discussed, just everything from NFTs to smart contract technology to the, uh, the interlinking, making bridges, software development. There's so many things that blockchain tech can do. So, um, you know, we can add, we'll can we put it here. We'll put the stamp on this and say it's going to be added to the long list of stuff that needs to go into uh, New York New York City schools. He didn't say just public schools. He might also mean just all schools, public, private, charter, whatever. But um, yeah, so you got that going on. It's probably probably a good thing. Like I said, analogous to when I was growing up, they had a computer lab at school, probably you as well. They didn't teach you that much, but like if you didn't have a computer at home, you weren't being left out of you know having yeah. access to computers. So overall, that's probably just going to be the trend. But I know that you said, Your favorite story was this Wednesday's story. And so I want to segue into that. About looks like it has something to do with a former open sea manager. Tell us all about it.
1: Yeah. So we've been dealing with on the show for quite a while. The I, we've been talking about security and safety and talking about finding ways to protect people. And the first ever case of insider trading is going on in the uh, insider trading in the NFT space is going on right now in New York, a former product director, Nathan, Nathaniel Chastain, another evil knack. Come on. Stop Nathan's it. Nathaniel's
0: just stop it. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, it's such a tenuous brand. You don't, I'm really trying to make this a very good brand and it's just <clears throat> people keep Ruin it. Luckily enough in history, there's a lot of good Nathans and Nathaniels, but it's
1: oh, like... Oh, somebody get the ghost of Nathaniel <sighs> Hale's ass on the line. Uh, Chastain was charged in June with wire fraud and money laundering over allegations he secretly bought NFTs he had chosen for OpenSea's homepage. Now, I am not a stock market expert. I am not a member of various committees, but... To if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it's got a bushy bottom like a duck, my man's, it's a duck. And this one, hell of a duck.
0: It's Matt. This is something that a lot of people in crypto, I will, um, as much as I love crypto, I also like living in the real world and I will give constructive criticism. There are lots of people in the crypto space who will plug their ears and say, la, 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 la. When you try to explain that people in the crypto space are just doing what has been illegal in the traditional financial markets since the 1920s, and for good reason, Um, there are lots of crypto projects that probably should be classified as securities. There's a debate about whether Ethereum is a security because it has a charismatic leader, uh, Vitalik Buterin. (laughs) You know, when you have somebody who, and Coinbase is dealing with this. There are actually a lot of exchanges that are dealing with this. When you have somebody who works at a brokerage, right? And I'm just using the term brokerage loosely, somebody that sells and procures assets. And they know what assets are coming in. They know what assets are going to be picked. They know what assets are going to be hot. That is the definition of insider knowledge, especially if you're going to act on that knowledge for a profit.
1: He picked them himself. He was the sommelier
0: of this bullshit. this This is something that people have been railing politicians of both sides over for decades now. I think it just recently became illegal for, for them to do insider trading based on this information. But it, it doesn't really matter what the asset is. If you know about the asset, you know how much it's going to be worth, you're picking it. We could say the same thing, but you know, for somebody who runs an art gallery, and you know that when you put the art on the shelf, it increases in value 50%. If you know that, and you know what art's going to go on the on the wall, and then you're able to bid on it or sell it or whatever. That's information that the rest of us don't have. There's a reason why insider trading is illegal. And it's because it perverts a free market. There's no way a free market can exist if everybody doesn't have access to the exact same information to equalize out what demand and supply could be. So this is a very clear cut case to me of like, <laughs> it, uh, I don't see how this is going to be dropped because it's just so clear cut that it's insider trading and insider information. But I'll I'll get your comments on it real quick. So I,
1: I wanna read I wanna read quotes from the filing. The motion to dismiss okay. was filed on Friday in New York. Chastain argued that prosecutor's theory that he misappropriated his own ideas about what should go on the homepage would, quote, criminalize run-of-the-mill civil employment disputes. The government would have this court believe that if an employee is at work, has a thought, and then acts in accordance with that thought, then that the employee's thought in of itself is the property of his employer. When it directly relates to the assets of the that are on the employer's network yes that that is a thing similar to game i can't i can't go to to someone in, in the exchange here at bitmart i can't go over to someone on the team and say yo i bought a mess of underpants coin just any just insert underpants for whatever coin you want can y'all you know show that a little bit of love on social maybe do a give like that is that is illegal that is that is a crime i would be committing a crime because i utilizing my power as someone who works for the company and has a hand in marketing what the company does that's a be- that's a crime. That is that is criminality. That is a go to jail. If we were playing Monopoly, my man's would go skip go. Do not get two hundred dollars. Send his ass to the clink.
0: Well, and that's why this is so interesting, Matt, is because technically right now in crypto, it's not a crime, which is why you see all these stories of people doing it. But I, I completely agree with you there. The reason why I, <laughs> the reason why I don't because think about this too, Matt. I do a lot of interviews on my podcast, Crypto Conversations. I do long-form AMAs with new crypto projects that are listing on BitMart. I am part of getting people's awareness that there's new projects listing. Um, it's technically not illegal for me to buy into those, you know, wait for them to pump, go in value, and sell them off or something like that. I personally don't do that because I realize how unethical and how tricky that will be in the future. Also, I'm just, you know, I'm very, I don't want to say conservative, but I'm very picky with the crypto projects that I personally like to invest in and, and use. There has to be a, a use case there for me. But yes, you're completely correct. I mean, <laughs> when you know when you know about something that's going to increase in value, that could potentially have value and you have power to do it and you sell it off, this will probably end up being a precedent for criminalizing this in crypto because OpenSea is such a big company what he's doing right now what you just read me he's you know i guess we, <laughs> i guess we can give his lawyer a round of applause because his lawyer is making money but his lawyer's just playing the games that lawyers play there's if this whole if if this gets dismissed and it's not insider trading i i mean people are going to get mad and it'll just bring up a new case for it because this is this seems very clear cut to me so yeah. yes it's um like I said, it's the reason why I don't I don't trade tokens or NFTs or stuff like that on BitMart. Not because um, I'm opposed to it or I think we have a bad platform. I think we have the platform's fine. I consider myself as an employee of the company to be that would be an unethical for me. So I do not do that. Um, and if and you it, know us for anything, <clears throat> we've got fucking ethics. <laughs> I mean, you can go and try and That's look it a, up. You won't. put it on a shirt. <laughs> you won't find any evidence of me uh, trading and doing stuff on Bitmart prematurely because it simply does not exist. And the truth is the best defense. Interesting um, segue here into our last two stories. Kind of a nice roundup from where I started. I started off in the Bitmart Bytes, um, our episode here talking about tether and USDC as stable coins that are really, really needed in developing countries. And our next story here is. A slight bummer, but I think it actually provides hope for the future because of the decentralized nature of crypto. And that is that the Afghan authorities, which uh, are now being run by the Taliban, not usually the most uh, welcoming people to change just in general, no matter what it is. They have shut down 16 crypto exchanges in one week. That's more than two. They're only seven days in a week. So it's like two and point. It's like 2.3 a day. Um, And they don't actually list the exchanges, which is very interesting from this story coming to you from Coindesk. And the reason why they're closing the exchanges is kind of a typical political response you'd expect from a um, a heavy-handed regime. They say that they're causing lots of problems and that people are being scammed out of their money. The latter probably is a little bit true, because as we know, crypto is a kind of crazy and chaotic industry. However, one has to ask the question, why are the Afghani people wanting to use crypto? And the main uh, fundamental underlying sector here is that the currency of Afghanistan, which I believe is called the real, uh, I may be getting that wrong. Um, it's been a while since I since I looked at that. It's unstable. It is highly inflated. And unfortunately, the Taliban uh, is not the greatest at creating a robust economy that has a stable currency. And so people are trying to get stable coins, Bitcoin, things like that. You actually have a lot of hopeful stories of uh, particularly Afghani women saving in Bitcoin and then being able to leave the country, go somewhere else, start businesses, things like that. But yeah, so Afghanistan is having a hard time with crypto right now. And any exchanges that people are using peer-to-peer, they have been shut down by force. Comments on this month?
1: I'm going to keep my geopolitical opinions on this to a minimum, but the Taliban are about restriction, control, and retaining power. The idea of a decentralized currency goes against the tenets of that power because it is not under their direct authority. They have no say. They cannot control what happens? Who's with? Who has money? Who doesn't have money? There, there's no ability to create fiefdoms. There's no way to centralize the power. That is, you know, what has happened in Afghanistan over the last half century. You can even go back further, uh, going back to the Russian Russian invasion in the late 70s, early 80s. The rise of the Taliban as a backlash to that. Um, The just general uncertainty of that part of the world, the idea of cryptocurrency is a tremendous option for women, for men, for anybody who are in a disadvantageous position. When you take that part away, you're trying to break the backs of people who don't want you in power you are trying to suppress anyone who may think differently than you and this is a huge problem and on the scamming side of it i think that that is just a a, a wafer thin like it depends on the exchange like i agree like i don't know why there are 16 different exchanges in <laughs> afghanistan Right now, if they're <laughs> operating within the country as actual businesses. But there is an inherency of corruption within the political ranks that dates back to when the Taliban were in charge or during the American occupation of Afghanistan uh, in the over the last 20 years up until this past year. It's not great, Um, but. If you're the right kind of PR person, if you're the right kind of political ops person, you can shine a light on it in any in a multitude of ways to make you look good or to make your opponent look bad.
0: Absolutely. And before we go on to our last story, Matt, here, I just wanted to say that, you know, I I always hear a lot of criticisms of Bitcoin about people saying, you know, you shouldn't invest in it. Um, it's a ponzi scheme you know blah blah blah. and it's fine people can have their opinions it's easy to have um hot takes and sit around poo-pooing you know in developed countries where we have running water and we can pretty much do as we please and things like that but if you really want to understand the power of bitcoin for financial freedom for getting people out of terrible situations for saving things like that i would urge anybody listening to look up the stories of afghani women and families it's not just women but particularly because women are essentially a a oppressed class in um in afghanistan in particular uh the ability of to save to exit the country to take your wealth with you and start over someplace else and just simply have a your own life determined for you that it, it it opens your up your eyes up to the power of bitcoin even with its volatility so it's it's just totally fascinating but yeah as to where the 16 exchanges were uh you know like i said they don't mention where the exchange is where i'm at this this could have been you know that i i could have probably been operating an exchange if i had like a corner stall and a couple of smartphones so i'm not sure i will end this story on a positive note guess what the central bank of afghanistan is called it's a little bit uh, the big daddy bit, Kane exchange a little bit rock and roll Uh, No, it's just called Da Afghanistan Bank. Da Afghanistan Bank. Da Bank. So moving on to our last story, Matt. We're going to end this on the positive note. We've got an NFT drop from Netflix. Is it Stranger Things? That's all I want to know.
1: It is not not Stranger Things. It is actually, in fact, their uh, show Love, Death, Plus Robots which will be which was picked up for a fourth season. And Adario Strange over at Quartz.com, that's QZ.com, uh, wrote this story, and he said nine NFTs were dropped on OpenSea back in May for the show for their third season. They did a minimalist marketing campaign, though, uh, Nathan. they we, Even though they had a cast that included Michael B. Jordan, McKenzie Davis, Rosario Dawson, Topher Grace, Joel McHale, and, you know, with selections from Harlan Ellison, one of the great writers in American history, they really didn't promote it that much. They utilized a few marketing tools. They put out a tweet, then a prompt at the closing credits of the last se- last episode of the third season, hid some QR codes in some of the scenes in billboards and on social media. So they were really trying to see who's actually watching. And the the main hypothesis of this by Strange, which is a top 10 author name, Adranio Strange, uh, Adario Strange is a top 10 author name, in my opinion. It, it is up there with some <laughs> of the greats. Sure. Uh, like studs turkle. That that that's our, that's a guy, you know, just sitting in front of a typewriter with a scotch whiskey, with a scotch whiskey and just a cigarette dr- just dripping at the bottom of his mouth. Um, <laughs> you you have he hypothesizes in the article. That this could be a new way to gauge ratings, a new way to gauge fan interest, fan engagement through NFTs, through selling pieces of art and seeing also kind of A-B testing which characters are liked, which personalities or what stories are popular or resonating with people. And yet again, this could be gamified every single, every single thing that has not necessarily been algorithmic in the history of of trying to measure how people ingest media has always been a game has been gamed whether it's the nielsen boxes whether it's per, you know personal people meters in radio or the old nielsen diaries for tv and for radio where you would have to write down if you were a nielsen household you'd have to write down in a little diary that you would have to send back what you listen to when you listen to it not only the date but the time of day and for how long you listen
0: yeah i I mean and it wasn't that long ago either they were probably still doing that in the 90s so i i think that this is an interesting this what this reminds me of specifically is um sorry what i've heard about i'm not from there and i've only visited once uh i understand that in hollywood when they used to do pilots they used to give away promo things like coffee mugs t-shirts uh little games figurines stuff like that and Based on the popularity of how those would enter the market, they could gauge. It was another gauge about: Oh, sh- is this show popular enough? Is it? Does the audience like it? Should we invest money into producing it? And this just to me seems like the modern version of that because Netflix is a global brand, and so Hollywood is kind of everywhere that you have an internet connection. And I know that Netflix has had some issues with losing market share, losing subscribers. There's just so many more competitors now, so I, it, it's fine to me. It's like. They, they, you send out NFTs. I don't think that these are that expensive, Matt, right? And like, you can, um, you can gauge how many people trade them, collect them. And who knows, you know, nobody knew that Stranger Things was going to be a hit when it came out. And imagine if there had been some Stranger Things NFTs that had been released for the first season. Those might be approaching like Bored Ape Yacht Club value. Who knows? I mean, fans of series and TV can get rabid about stuff. So This just kind of seems like the next incarnation of that. So I'm good with it. It's fine. Closing comments?
1: Uh, I'm good with it. I can't wait for the next incarnation of BitMart Bice to see what other nafolderall is going on in the market and some of the stories. But you can, as always, like, comment, and subscribe to this video on YouTube. Be sure to ring the notifications bell to let people, let yourself know the next time we drop an episode of Bitmark Bytes or a, an episode of NFT 101 or Crypto Conversations in video form, or our weekly Bitmark Brain Trust, which is now dropping on Thursdays on YouTube. And the audio drop will start on Thursdays next week. Uh, Nathan, it has been another fun time with you uh, going through
0: this eight pack of stories. Always fun, always fun, Matt. You know, and like I like you said, please subscribe, you know, like, comment, not only to the YouTube channel, which continues to grow. Thank you, Matt Ryan, and thank you, Bitmart team. Um, but our you know, our podcasts, which are available on any place that you get audio, crypto conversations, and NFT 101. And if you could leave a five-star review, that would be great. But other than that, this has been another episode of Bitmart Bytes, the sixth episode. No clever title here, or Matt, I think you did have a clever title. I can't remember it now, but we will see you in the next episode. See ya. Hello to everybody out there in crypto land. Did you enjoy that conversation? I know that I did. It's always interesting to learn more about crypto projects, NFTs, and what is going on in this very unique industry. But now we've got to get some legal stuff out of the way. All right. It's just the way that it is. So, I wanted to let you know that all opinions and actions expressed and undertaken by the hosts and guests are individual opinions and actions and do not reflect the views and actions of Bitmark. Bitmark does not guarantee the accuracy, applicability, reliability, integrity, performance, completeness or appropriateness of this content. The value of digital currencies can go up or down and there can be a substantial risk in buying, selling, holding or investing. You should carefully consider whether trading or holding digital currencies is suitable for you based on your personal investment objectives, financial circumstances, and risk tolerance. BitMart does not provide investment, tax, or legal advice. Use of BitMart services is entirely at your own risk.